Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, help us as we study your word. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would give us strength to serve you in these last days and to live distinctively for the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I would ask for your prayers as we continue, as I continue working. I'm trying to rework all of the notes, not just re-preach uh, uh, the series as it was developed in the past. And uh, I will tell you the contradictory material that I am finding on this subject is uh, absolutely astounding. Uh, I read a definition of moderate drinking, which is for women three drinks a day in, in a 24-hour period not to exceed 14 in any week. Now, three times seven is 21, but it's not to exceed 14 in any week. And with men are allowed four drinks uh, every day, 24-hour period, but they still held to the 16-per-week limit, uh, which, is that confusing to you? Uh, because then that means there are certain days that you can't have anything, or you can only have one if you're going to sit there in the limit, but it's okay to drink. No, it's... it's and... Then I saw an article I didn't get a chance to read that says, how many fall between moderate drinking and alcoholism? And it said it is possible for people to remain within the limits of moderate drinking and yet become an alcoholic. And uh, I'm sitting here saying, wow. And then I found the articles of the two different presidents of chapters of Mothers Against Drunk Drivers uh, one in Florida and the other, uh, any Avonlea lovers here, Prince Edward Island president chapter, uh, both were arrested different times, 2015 Prince Edward Island, 2011 uh, the uh, president there in Florida, I believe it was, or Georgia, uh, uh, at the field sobriety test was three times the legal limit for driving uh, impaired. And so, you're, you're, tonight what we're going to ask the question here, and this is a problem both ways with Christians, is drunkenness different than any other sin? And the reason why I ask that question is we are so conditioned... And it is hard to answer some of the arguments that the world puts up. And what, would, what I would like for us to do is just do what basically is called a biblical review. We're just going to look at the verses. Two main passages we're going to spend most of our time in. And then we're going to look over several others. But uh, uh, let's uh, start in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. And Jesus is explaining here uh, the behavior uh, of his servants and how we ought to live and how not to live as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 21. For some reason the pages are sticking fairly well here. And let's look at uh, verse um, 34. It says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, 
with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, I'm sorry, I was thinking of another passage, but what he's talking about here is when the Lord returns and he says that we need to, his servants need to take heed to themselves lest at any time your heart be overcharged, that our heart be distracted. In, in our study on the Sermon of the Mount, uh, we're coming up uh, on uh, merciful, and then after merciful is pure in heart. And here Jesus gives the command that, that we need to be careful lest our hearts be overcharged or lest our hearts be... Uh, um, distracted or um, uh, uh, just, well, overcharged just simply means overfilled uh, with surfeiting. That would basically be uh, gluttony and just imbibing too much of any special thing. Uh, not only uh, in, in, uh, uh, in the Bible they had over drinking is drunkenness, but uh, what do you call binge TV watching? Um, I, I don't. There's there's no real name. Maybe somebody ought to think of a word. Uh, uh, you can actually be addicted to your cell phones now. They tell me, and, and uh, there are people who are addicted to Facebook and and uh, uh, Facebookedness. Would that be uh, a term? Uh, and uh, uh, we, we have all of these different things, but Jesus actually addresses them all in script, everything, surfeiting. That's, that's what that word means. And then it says, drunkenness and cares of this life. Isn't that interesting how that one, normally when God makes a list, he saves the worst ones for last, doesn't he? I mean, he starts talking about this and this, but usually the worst ones are in the, in the end here. And let me just ask you a question. How many of us in this room, my hand will go up, I'm going to be honest, have been overcharged with the cares of this life? Have allowed circumstances, have allowed things. Now, here is Jesus giving his servants warning that, listen, you, you cannot allow your heart to be filled more with the cares of this world or drunkenness, which goes to the heart of the, of the issue. Addiction is not near the physical problem that it is the heart problem. That's why the world has such, a pro, uh, has such difficulty dealing with addictions. Uh, the best treatment plans, and, and I don't have any statistics actually in front of me here, and, and, and pray for me as I try to find some of these things. I'd like to actually put them in print so you can take them home, and when somebody questions some of the quote-unquote outrageous statements we make as a Christian, you say, well, here's the statistics to prove it. So just uh, pray, if you would, as, we, as I go searching for things like this, but... The cares of this world, drunkenness and surfeiting, will fill our hearts 
and we will not be paying attention and we will not be ready when Jesus comes. And so, this is the first passage that we're looking at. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 13, if we would. And the overriding theme of Romans chapter 13 is the uh, behavior of the Christian uh, in the world. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. And we get down to verse 13. It says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so we see that drunkenness again uh, comes fairly early on in this list. And, and, uh, well, and, and everything that we've said about the last passage holds true of this one. And... And so we have many of the same things talking about. Chambering is just uh, basically uh, private parties, kinds, that kind of things. Wantonness and covetousness have an awful lot in common there. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 here, and then we want to make some thoughts about all of these things. We start in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Okay, so this is a list here in the Scripture talking about the works of the flesh, how you know what are the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we have drunkenness here listed among these sins. Now, before we uh, get uh, uh, the next point that we need to, to grab a hold of here, is that when we're talking about the issue of, of sin and salvation, there are no great sins and there are no little sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are sins that have consequences. Uh, if you study uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it gives the requirements of a pastor, the first is blameless. Then it says, husband of one wife. And, and some have uh, tried to interpret that one at a time. Uh, not polygamy. And, and certainly it means that. Uh, a pastor, but it also says, husband of one wife. That means no divorce. And the same holds true of deacons. And if That sin, yes, God forgives sin, amen? But sin has consequences. And sometimes you will be cut off from certain places of service because of wrong things that have happened in your life. 
Uh, there was a time when it seemed that the greatest testimonies that people liked to hear were the ones that did the most evil. And of course, that's not true. The greatest testimony is an entire life serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because how much sin does it take to go to hell? Just one. And so, we, we need to understand something here. Yes, there are certain consequences attached to uh, certain sins, and some of them are far-reaching, but drunkenness is listed there, and here is the issue. If we were nearly as concerned with covetousness as we are with drunkenness, would we ever deal with drunkenness? If we were anywhere near as concerned with the sin of hatred or envying or strife, would we ever be dealing with the sin of murder? Are we still together here? You see, we, we want to understand that there is no difference between drunkenness. Now, here's one of the reasons why we bring this out is because what does the world say? Moderate drinking is good. But I just got done trying to define moderate drinking. And for most of us, uh, if you had four glasses of wine in an evening, uh, you would wake up in the morning with a hangover. Uh, that would be hard not to do until you built up resistance to that. Uh, and then you get into the next state where what you have is no longer helping you, so you need more. And you leave the realms of moderate drinking and leave the realms of controlled drinking and get into alcoholism and uncontrolled drinking. We have all these medical studies that are out there reminding us how good it is to drink moderately, but do you know you can get all of the beneficial parts of wine in good, dark, red grape juice? There's, there's nothing that is there that you can't get somewhere else without the danger of the alcohol. We'll be dealing with some statistics here. And if we had any other substance that cost so many lives, you know, everybody's all upset about guns right now. And how horrible and how wicked and how many people are dying with guns. I want to challenge you that the number of people that die with gun violence in the United States doesn't even compare to the number of people that die in alcohol-related incidents. Most gun violence is connected to drug abuse of one kind or another. Uh, this is an old statistic in New York City. I think it was 1992 or somewhere in that neighborhood. We had 379 murders in Queens that year and like 350 of them were connected to drug dealing, drug sales, drug abuse. It, it was an incredible number. 
I hope I can refine that that statistic. And, and, and yet, here is what we're saying: is everybody that goes on to talk about how that wine is okay, and they refuse to accept two different definitions for wine, they use wine to justify every beverage containing alcohol. Uh, There is no just one people out there. It's wine and beer. And of course, occasionally, when you're having a great time, you just need a little bit of the uh, more potent stuff to make the party uh, what it ought to be. And let me just ask the question. Let's go back to Galatians. Hopefully you're still there in Galatians chapter 5. You see, we went through that great big list of sins of which drunkenness was listed in every other one of those sins. And verse 22, let's start there. Let's put it in context. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this great list of sins here, the works of the flesh, the way that we can know the flesh is working is when any one of these things show up in a person's life is in opposition or in variance to the fruit of the Spirit. And so, people love to go to that verse, not given to wine, not given to much wine. So, the preacher can never get drunk, but the deacon can get drunk every once in a while, right? That is the worldly interpretation of that. Sounds like nonsense. I see people smiling, and I'm glad, uh, because... But... Let's put this in context here. How much alcohol does it take to start to change your body chemistry? The answer is one drink. Things start changing. There are people I've heard, uh, I do not have any experience, and I praise the Lord for parents that just thumped me from the time I was old enough to understand what a thump was. You never touch the stuff. You never deal with it. You never taste it. You never go near it. There's nothing good there. Uh, And so I've never done that. Uh, But I've heard people who drink, they'll say, two beers, and they are completely out of their mind drunk. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, Uh, I do know that alcohol has a different effect on different people, but here is the point. How many of you have ever lived with a person who could not control... Don't raise your hand. Lived with a person who could not control their temper. Who was just prone to violent outbursts of words or things... 
If you've ever been in that situation, he got quiet here real quick because it's not a pleasant place to be. So let's say this person who was prone to these violent outbursts said, listen, I'm only blow up once a week. Isn't that okay? How many would you accept once a week? Well, that's better than it was. Well, what does the Bible say? How many times do you have to commit adultery to be an adulterer? How many times do, do you have to kill somebody to be a murderer? Hello? So, is a little murder okay? It's amazing how many movies have the theme, it's okay to kill somebody if they're bad. And then they talk about you can't have capital punishment. Same people. Uh, I don't get it. Or if we send soldiers, uh, they're, they're doing bad things. And uh, one of the greatest harms we do are people who serve in the military is when they come home from having to fight the bad guys, from having to face death uh, in a hand-to-hand or a very close situation, actually having to pull the trigger and, and know that they took someone's life and then call them murderers when that's not the case at all, according to the Bible. I like the question that one of the talk show hosts asked about this uh, person who just committed the, the shooting. He said, I'd like to see his uh, music list. I'd like to know what music he's listening to, if he's listening to cop killer songs and all of those rap songs that talk about murdering people. He says, and I'd like to see his video game list. The video games that he plays, is he playing these violent video games where he goes out and shoots all these people? I think the answer is not even rhetorical. You just wonder, and yet we have Christians that play the same games and listen to the same music and, oh, oh, but we... We put Jesus' words to it. We're not killing people anymore and we're not cursing. We're, I, I can't remember who it was. Somebody said, I'm, I'm rapping for Jesus. Um, I think it was uh, Toby Mack or something like that. I don't know uh, those names. But honestly and truly, drunkenness is here listed as a work of the flesh. No other work of the flesh would we want in moderation in anybody's life whom we care about. Could we say amen to that? Do you see how drunkenness is somehow treated as a lesser sin? Or on the other hand, sometimes they treat it as the greatest sin and ignore all the other sins. Could I challenge you that both extremes are just as wrong? that we need to understand that drunkenness is a sin. It's just like the rest of them. But if we were to work on everything that is in this list, and then ask 
the Holy Spirit to develop His fruit in us. There's only one approach to alcoholic beverage that fits the passage. It's called abstinence. It's called staying away from alcohol altogether. Um, We're not going to talk about the slippery slope. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't belong on the slippery slope. Amen? You belong on the solid rock. You belong feet firmly planted on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, let's go on here to back to Romans chapter 13, if we would. Back to Romans chapter 13. And uh, why don't we uh, start working here in uh, uh, verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly." As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So this passage is in variance or opposition to put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can I put on the Lord Jesus Christ with a can of Budweiser in my hand? How many of you see the absolute uh, problem with that combination? I mean, it just is not biblically sensible. You see, if you are... um, just the statement is in the outline here. It says, how is a little not making provision for the lust of the flesh? If you've got a problem with speeding and breaking the speed limit and you just can't control how fast you drive, get a 15-passenger van. It'll solve that problem. Uh, there is no acceleration. There's no <laughs> anything there. Uh, no, no. Uh, Don't go out and buy a sports car. Does that make sense? That if you have a problem with that, if that is an issue with you, that you wouldn't buy yourself a car specifically designed to go from 0 to 50 in 2.5 seconds and and break the speed limit before you get out of second gear. I mean, uh, and people do that. But the simple truth is, The Bible says, make not provision. So, how in the world would this idea of moderate drinking be not making provision? 
And, and it says that we're supposed to walk honestly as in the day. And when, whenever you hear the phrase, we need a little honesty here, what is the implication? That there's an awful lot of dishonesty in the situation. Is that not true? And so we're just going to have to get a hold of this. And so we look at the verses here that are listed, and these are the New Testament verses. And let's just take some time for a quick review here. We've already done Romans 13.13. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5.11. These are printed in your outline here. It says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company... If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, know not to eat. Um, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time going through all of the sins here, but if someone calls himself a Christian and is indulging in these things, the Bible says we have a responsibility as a servant of Christ not to give them any credibility or any endorsement whatsoever. In fact, we're not to sit down with them. We're not to fellowship with them. Uh, we can't, that does not apply to people who are in the world because then we would need to leave the world because the world is full of drunkenness and all of these other sins that are out here. But no one who names the G- name of Jesus should be involved in these kind of behavior. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, uh, they were bringing alcoholic wine to the church dinner. For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. And what did God say was going to happen, or had happened to the Corinthian church? There were people that were sick, and there were people that were dead. Because God was judging the church for this kind of behavior being uh, endorsed by the church. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 is a verse people like to quote all the time, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And of course, the idea here is when a person is intoxicated, they are not in charge of their mental faculties. Is that correct? Uh, in, in fact, there are people that have tried to say, well, I committed a crime, but I was drunk and I didn't know what I was doing. Fortunately, uh, American jurisprudence has moved beyond that. And if you committed crime while you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, you actually are going to be held to a higher standard and given a sharper penalty because... Nobody dragged you into the bar or down to the store to buy the alcohol before you willfully chose it. Therefore, you willfully will endure the punishment that is there. 
It says, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. It's talking about behavior that is not befitting a Christian. You cannot find one verse in the Bible that endorses a little bit of drunkenness. You cannot find one verse in the Bible that says drunkenness is the only sin you have to worry about. Uh, you have to wor- we have to be concerned with the entire list that our lives would be pleasing because there is another sense of drunkenness. And, and that's reflected in several verses in Revelation where it talks about being drunk with the wine of the fornication and the wine uh, of the blood of the saints and the wine of the wrath uh, of her fornication or unfaithfulness to God. And here is simply goes back to Ephesians 5.18. Who is supposed to control the decision-making process in our lives? The Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Now, how does the Holy Spirit control our decision-making process? What does the Holy Spirit use? You're not going to hear voices. You're not going to have premonitions. The Holy Spirit is going to use this book. Amen? The Holy Spirit is going to help us understand God's Word and how that we ought to live. And so... One of the problems that we will deal with in later lessons and try to bring forth, there were some very serious problems with prohibition. That was the, the political movement to remove alcohol from the United States. And I am glad... And if, if prohibition were up for a vote today, I would be, I'd vote for it. But I'll tell you what, it didn't work. Any more than removing slavery worked. How, how well has that, well, we don't have people, or, or do we? We, we still have people in slavery today, do we not? It's a different kind of slavery. But it is nonetheless a far greater problem involving far more people because of our population being much higher today than it did before the Civil War. Here was the mistake that Christians made. If we could solve this one sin we will make a difference in society. I want to challenge you that God has not called us to solve one sin. He has called us as his servants to work on, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to make us Christ-like. That's the job of the Christian. You see, we can talk about social change all we want. But that is not the purpose of the true church of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to get as many people into the lifeboat, if we want to use that illustration, 
Society is headed in one direction. Jesus said it. Broad is the way, and wide is the gate. Wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction. You're not going to change the direction. Many be that go in thereat. What is our job? Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what is it? Few. There be that find it. That's our job. That is our duty. By the way, we are not going to encourage the people living on the broad way by living between the narrow way and the broad way. We're, we're not going to encourage people to Christ by walking with them in the broad way and trying to bring out all the good things that will happen to you if you walk in the narrow way. There can only be one true motivation for changing from the broad way to the narrow way. And that is there is no alternative for sin but the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? You see, as we witness, as we try to help people, I I used to think that it was a great thing to debate the evolutionist. But do you know that the evolutionists have never honestly, logically won even one debate? They've never won a debate. Because you cannot win. You cannot argue evolution from logic. It must be argued from faith. And how does the Christian argue Christianity? Well, now I'm involved in the exact same arguments. You see, faith is a choice. Every one of us in this room had to choose Jesus Christ. Amen? And not a one of us would agree that a little murder is good as long as it's in moderation. I mean, that's ridiculous, is it not? But is a little covetousness good? Is a little overwhelming or overcharging of the heart good? No. There is nothing in those lists that a little of is any good. And so why would we argue, why do people argue that a little alcohol is good? Well, it's like every other sin. They want to. I mean, we've often criticized the life, and rightly so, of President Bill Clinton. And when he finally wrote his autobiography, here's what he said. I did it because I could get away with it. I did it because I could. It's the only time that man's ever been honest in his entire life. People want alcohol because it helps. 
Same reason they want really loud music. The same reason they like a 100-foot 3D IMAX screen. Or Google Vision, which simulates that 100-foot screen on a pair of glasses so that you can leave reality. Here, as a Christian, excuse me, as a Christian, I don't need to leave reality. I can face honestly who and what I am. And you know what? Here's what the Bible says. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. The Bible says a lot of things and none of them are positive. But here's what it says. For God so loved the world. He still loves me. And Jesus will love anyone. So as we delve deeper in and we're going to be talking about alcohol and all of these things, I want us to set up our foundation. Number one, the Bible in its usage demands two different definitions. There's got to be an alcoholic wine and a non-alcoholic wine. One that God blesses and one that God curses. One that is a blessing and the other is a cursing. You can't have the same thing doing both. There, there's got to be two different words. And we cannot make allowance, the Bible does not make allowance for a little sin. Because Jesus died on the cross for every little sin. And as we deal with this, let us not make the same mistake that quote-unquote Christians did uh, nearly a century ago and a little before as they began to coalesce into a political movement. They, had, they thought they had just solved the issue of slavery at the end of the Civil War and now they were building the kingdom of God on earth and the next great sin was alcohol. And they eradicated alcohol. Uh, 1919, I believe it was, the Volstead, or 1921, the final uh, constitutional amendment was passed. And yet, what do historians call the 20s? The Roaring 20s. Do you know that alcohol consumption died over 50%? Under prohibition. It was, it was incredible. The alcohol consumption, we'll get, I'll get you some statistics and, and print those things out. It wasn't until the 1960s or 70s that the per capita alcohol consumption in the United States climbed back up to pre-prohibition levels. I'd say that's a pretty good thing. But it didn't make us a Christian country. And it didn't solve any problems. You see, if we as Christians, as a church, do not take the responsibility that Jesus has given to us to behave as a church and to behave as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
all of the morality that we engender in society as a whole just allows a moral people to go to hell anyway. That's not the goal. The goal is to get them off the Broadway. Amen? The goal is to see people saved. And so we're not, even though we're spending all this time on alcohol and addictions and things over the next several weeks, I want us to grasp this, that that's not the only sin out there. But we do want to bring forth these things and understand that the arguments of the world are at best non-logical, full of contradictions, and utter bottom line is nonsense. How can you drink four drinks a day and be limited to 14 drinks a week when that would give you 28 twice the allowed amount? Well, you have to restrain on some days. You don't have to do that with water, tea, coffee, any of these other things. Now, is it good to drink three quarts of coffee a day? No, but you're going to have other problems long before you have uh, enough said. Amen? Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, as we try to serve Jesus Christ... That's where we're going to find fulfillment. We're, we're not just trying to answer the questions of the world. What we're trying to do is give common sense so that we can deal with people who call themselves Christians who have swallowed this worldly philosophy. Next time somebody says, well, moderate drinking is okay. Well, is moderate adultery okay? Uh, moderate murder? Uh, Would you like someone to be moderate in their uh, tempers and their covetousness and their overcharging of the heart? How can you do any of those things moderately? That's not the Bible. The Bible is to live for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would help as we look at some of these other issues and try to tackle this thing called addictions or escapism that is such a part of our society and our lives that it's hard not to be influenced by it. Help us to love you. Help us to deal with sin in our personal lives and help others to deal with sin in their lives. But Lord, we cannot single out just one sin and leave the others alone. Sin must be dealt with as sin. We ask that you would give us the grace to do so in our own personal lives, in our church, and in the world in which we live. Before we finish the prayer, we'll have the piano play. If you need to spend a few minutes, the altar's open.